Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 26. Again, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 26. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can open it to page 902. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the member may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all and worship with you share the message with you, and happy Mother's Day to everybody who is a mother. Um, we celebrate this day, I think, in many part because uh, mothers go through a special and unique sacrifice for their families. It's something that cannot be replaced by any other figure in the family, and so it is pretty special. Uh, before we start today's message, let's start with a prayer. God, we thank you for gathering us here as we listen to your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us so that we may, in hearing, understand, and in understanding, we may fully obey it. We also want to take special time and recognition for those that cannot gather today, especially for those of our family members in Canada who have been jailed because they just wanted to meet on the Lord's Day Lord, we pray that you would grant them a special mercy and comfort the churches there. And we ask, God, that you would be with us now. May we glorify you in our listening and our obeying and, Lord God, in our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, these days, uh, I mentioned um, in our prayer, my prayer, about what's going on in Canada, but it's all over the world. Uh, whatever the, you know, the state or the nation will try to get their hands on, to try to close churches, or see it actually literally happening. People may roll their eyes, ah, you know, it's because of this reason, it's because of that reason. You know, the churches deserve this or that, and, you know, they're fined exorbitantly. Um, and there's very little compassion for churches. I'm not talking about other institutions, but the churches that believe in Jesus Christ are in particular being singled out. And I'm seeing this happen all over the world. I think it's up to us to pray, not just to be like, wow, we're so lucky. We are very fortunate that we can um, gather, um, albeit socially distanced and masked, 
Um, but, you know, I, I believe New Jersey is lifting up all uh, space uh, restrictions starting next week as well. We are fortunate, and we have been gathering. None of these things have really restricted us from worshiping, but other places have. I think it's up to us to join in, praying for them. We, we do the Sursum Corda, and before, you know, when we start service, and that is where we say we lift our hearts to the Lord. We're in faith saying that we're going to worship with all the saints of the world. We're not just worshiping here locally, which is true, but in worship we recognize that God brings us to himself spiritually, and we worship with all the saints. And so I just want to urge you all to continue to pray for our churches, uh, the churches that are scattered across the world that can't meet, that are underground um, and having a very difficult time. But let's pray that God would really encourage their spirits and their hearts, and it would be God that would be lifting up their souls. I think it's also because the idea of what church is is being constantly challenged and even attacked, I suppose. You know, there's a popular saying, and I'll give you an example. There's a popular saying, the church is not the building. I'm sure you've heard that before. The church is not the building. People seem to like saying that over and over again. I don't know why. Why is this a saying? What's so deep about it? Of course the church isn't simply a physical structure or a building, but the building houses the church. I find that analogous to saying something like, a color isn't a shape, a square is not a dog, braised short rib is not a wooden stick. I was like, what does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything to me. And then people would respond, and people have responded to me when I would say that. Ah, but the people confuse the church with the building, or the people confuse the church with a building. Don't they say things like, I'm going to church, and don't they really just mean the building? Sure, they do. But what about when, if I say I'm going to school, do you see people in schools chanting the school is not a building? Don't you say you're going to school when you're going to the building? I mean, who thinks like that? And why is this a thing where people are saying the church is not a building? And perhaps for some of us, it's not clear then what the church is, what the church is meant to be. Sure, it's not a physical building. Sure, it's the gathered people of God. But then, what is its purpose? What is the telos of the church? Perhaps it's been confused and unclear because the church was never meant to go along with the philosophies and ideologies of the world. Our session is not a business boardroom. In fact, when we first started CGS, I hated calling our deacons and elders a board. Not because it was wrong to call it a board. A board literally just means a decision-making body but because people immediately think of business boardrooms in corporations. And we think we have some kind of product to market or sell. A family member of mine once told me that in his view, a sermon should be no longer than 20 minutes because, because 
if you want to effectively sell a product, you should need no more than 20 minutes because 20 minutes is all a skilled salesman needs. Now, I personally love marketing and selling things to people. Come over to my house, I'll sell you some things too. But is that what this is here? Am I up here to sell you a product? You know, Mark Dever wrote in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and this is what he wrote in regards to this. In regard to this, after one Sunday morning service, a visitor took me by the hand, pulled me close, and said, Dr. Dever, I just want you to know that this was one of the best sales presentations I've ever heard in my life. But there was only one problem you didn't close the sale. And I didn't know, this is what he says, I didn't know how to respond to him. I didn't say much of anything. But what I thought was, friend, I know what kind of sales I can close and what kind that I can't close. And the redemption of an eternal soul is one sale that I, in my own strength, cannot accomplish. Perhaps we have lost the concept of what a church is. And now there are all these gimmicks to attract people. Oh, let's have this program. Let's bring in this celebrity. Let's have a little coffee stand outside with our own barista. Not going to lie, the last one I want, I've always wanted. But that's only because I want a decent cup of coffee. But we are not a business for profit. If you donated a bunch of toys to us, guess what we do with it? We donate a bunch of toys. We're not here to open up an Amazon reseller account. We're not a group of paid professionals here to entertain while everyone watches from the comfort of their own homes or pews. We don't hold service as a mere production so that you can sit comfortably at home and just spectate. We're also not a country club where you pay to have privileges. Leave your kids while you go play golf. Again, I'm not saying that I am against country clubs or selling things. And especially I'm not against having that small coffee stand outside with your own personal barista. But what is the church then? And hopefully you, uh, you have heard this before. I hope that you have heard this before. But the church is not simply an organization. More than it is an organism. Because any structure is organized to a degree. You know, even a dead body is organized. It's organized because the organ is here and the organ is there. And it's organized. But the church is not a corpse. It is alive. The church is more than a structure. Businesses long to be what the church is already because the church is alive. Every time a metaphor was used to describe the church, and let's get this, I just really want to hone on this and hammer this in. Every time a metaphor was used to describe the church, what was it? The church is what? The church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy 
and without blemish. The church is the bride of Christ. How about another one? The church is called the branches and Christ the vine. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The church is called the branches and Christ is the vine. How about another one? The church is the flock of sheep. In Psalm 103, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Jesus himself in John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And one more, the church is the family of God. In Romans 8, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have a lot of children here, but they know who they are crying for. When they are crying for their dad, they go, Abba, they go, Abba. And that's the spirit of adoption that we have. We are a part of the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and servants, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In every single metaphor that's used to describe the church, what is the church? The church is alive. In a living organism, every part is a part of what is necessary for life in that organism. No one is here to simply spectate. No one that is part of the church can sit back and do nothing. This is also something I've heard people say about the church in general, and perhaps you've heard it too. It's the 80-20 rule, or the Pareto principle. You probably heard it more as the 80-20 rule. Simply put, the 80-20 rule states that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I heard it in the former church I served at, and I hear it now in reference to about almost every organization. Most recently, I heard a senator in an interview say that 80% of the, 80% of the legislation or work is done by 20% of the senators in Congress. And I have no reason to doubt that either. But the church is different. Why? Because it is alive. And it's alive because we were made to drink of one spirit, in verse 13, we were made to drink of one spirit, and we went over that last week. But what does that mean? What does it mean that we were made to drink in one spirit? In John chapter 7, Jesus says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, 
For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We were made to drink of one Spirit. We've gone over how how in the Pentecost and the mini-Pentecost, the Spirit was given to all believers from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, gives the best metaphor to describe what the church is. What is the church? The church is is a body. Now the Corinthians were chaotic, crippled, and out of control. That's an alliteration for those of you that, for those of you that like Baptist proclivities, but they were chaotic, crippled, and out of control. They were not portraying the proper image of Christ. And for the last 12 chapters, we've seen that they were carnal people of the flesh, sarkinos, not pneumaticos, people of the spirit. They were immature, immoral, selfish, proud, heretical, divisive. They drew lines to separate parties and boasted about which teacher they followed. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. They followed human philosophies. They tolerated sin Not only tolerated sin, but we see in chapter 5, they were proud of their sin. They were suing each other. There was this women's liberation movement, not unlike today, where there was just rebellion against any kind of family order. They they, They were gluttonous, drunkards, sexually perverse, subjecting themselves to orgiastic feasts. Pagan worship infiltrated their services, and the Lord's table was desecrated. And now in chapter 12, we see that they were seeking the gifts. Not any kind of gifts, mind you, but the showy, ostentatious, eye-catching gifts. And as a result, the people in Corinth became just this meretricious display of nothingness. They were noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. Everyone wanted the big gifts, Languages or glossa, I wish I had tongues or healing or the ability to speak. They were attention-seeking, pandering, and egotastic. I thought I made up that word when I was writing this. Apparently, people used this before. But egotastic means fantastically egotistical. Anyway, but now there are many reasons to love the metaphor of the body when we think of the church. Last week when I was listening to the message, I imagined the sheer amount of intricacies and nuances of every muscle group, joint function, even the overall physical and emotional states that are in play and a part of just the natural cadence of someone's walk. Some people walk with swag. Some people aren't so swaggy, but that's okay. But just to walk a short distance from one point to another, how many factors do you have to take into account? And doesn't the whole body play a part in just the short distance you walk from A to B? But why the malcontent? Why the malcontent in what you have already received? what you are already a part of. And to understand that you are a part, already a part of the body of Christ, is to be content. I want you to get what I'm saying. 
to understand that you are already a part of the body of Christ is to be content. When you seek certain gifts, it's showing malcontent. Some people do not have the gift of teaching. This was confirmed by others in the church, perhaps, and yet they still seek places of teaching, like eldership. There are people still, after all these years of tomfoolery being exposed, believe that you haven't, quote, arrived yet, unquote, unless you speak in tongues. But I want the gift of tongues. And so you go seeking for this gift and that gift. And that is not what God intends. When you are born again, you are born into the body of Christ. You already have the Spirit, and you are already given gifts. And not every person has the same gifts. Because who gives the gifts? Who gives the gifts? In verse 11, we went over, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But the Corinthians were not content. They wanted the eye-catching, ostentatious, showy gifts. Why can't I be an elder? I would love it if I got some glosa. This was self-seeking. There was nothing to seek then. As far as gifts are concerned, if you understand that you are already the body of Christ. And we'll definitely be coming back uh, to this point again in this message. But the Corinthians fell into this trap of wanting the poppy gifts. But Paul wants to make it clear here that they are not to seek other gifts. You shouldn't feel inadequate if you don't have a particular gift. And if you do have a gift that stands out, then you shouldn't feel proud of it either. And to show this, he gives the analogy of the human body. The verses that we've read today show the analogy from, from uh, this verse up until the end. And then from 27 on, we see the application once you understand the analogy. So we're going to go over the analogy first this week. And as we've heard from last week's theme, the first few verses are showing the analogy of this body in verses 12 and 13. But there is unity in the church because we are one body. Each part of the body is different. It's diverse and yet still one. That's unity and diversity. This is why you can't all be an eyeball. That's ridiculous. Sure, the eyes might be your favorite part of someone's features, but without the eyelid, that puppy would dry out and shrivel in no time. Without a socket to keep it in, you'd be grossed out. And without bones to keep it stable, and I could go on. It's the same with the body of Christ. You can't all just say, I want to be the eyeball. That's ridiculous. It's as ridiculous as 44 people running into the field saying that they are all the starting quarterback. That wouldn't work. No one would want to watch that game except to laugh, maybe make fun of them. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the church would be one. Then Pentecost happened, and the church was one in spirit, while being also broad in scope. And this is the point from last week. The body is one, and it is many. There is your uni unity and diversity. And because we went over this last week, I would like to move on from there. Because the church is unified and diverse, there are no spiritual loners. 
there are, are no drifters, no spectators. If you belong to the body of Christ, then you have the blood of Christ flowing and pulsing through you. There is no part that is any less significant than. We are all cells of one living organism, citizens of the same kingdom, bride of one bridegroom, members of the same body. You are just as important to me as I am to you. There is never a reason to think that you are not vital. If you have been born again, you are a part of the church, and that means you are, by function, necessary. But if you're not functioning as you should, what does that mean? If you don't function as you should, that means the body is crippled. Why does everyone want to be the eyeball? If we are united, diversity is not only expected. Look, if we are united, diversity is not only expected, but it is demanded. Unity demands diversity. Was everyone made to get the same gifts? Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? This is what he says at the end of this chapter. And the implied answer here is no. But look at this list. It's all the eye-popping ones, right? It's all the eye-popping gifts. The Corinthians went mad trying to get these same gifts. That list is right there. And I believe the church is doing this again. And we had better operate properly or we will not display the picture of Christ to the world as we ought. And the point is clear. The body is made up of diverse parts and each part is necessary. Each person has already been endowed with gifts to serve the church with. And who gives these gifts? Who gives you these gifts? And it's because the Holy Spirit gives these gifts as he pleases, there is no way someone will look down on any other member of the body. The reason why you want the eye poppers is because you don't trust that the Holy Spirit has given you just the right gift. And the reason why you look down on others if you do have a gift that is more showy than others is because you don't understand the dignity of each member of the body and the integral part they play in its function. How can you say, that? how can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? Paul gives here a brilliant example of how the weaker body part gain more dignity and attention. We, the weaker the body part you have, look, look at the physical body he's saying, look at the physical body. The weaker it is, don't you pay more attention to it? Don't you give it more modesty? Don't you bring more dignity to that body part. Now, what if you believe you are someone, then, after listening to this, you are someone with a certain gift, and you think you're just having a hard time utilizing it, right? Like, um, the question that I get a lot is, I think I have this gift. How do I know I, I have this gift, or I'm not, am I using it properly? I'm very confused. I have a very easy solution to this. And listen up. If that was your question, listen up. If you have the gift of teaching, go teach. That's it. That, no, seriously, that's it. If you have the gift of teaching, go teach. 
Our children's ministry is growing. We need teachers. If someone responds, but what if in the future there's no room for teachers in the children's ministry? If there are no openings in ministry positions, then I would ask, are there people that know less than you? Teach them. We have young Christians in this church. Read one of the books the staff recommends with them. Are there neighbors around where you live with kids that need a tutor because the lockdowns have put them back academically like a year? Teach them. For me, the solution is simple. In our church, our ministries developed because we were already doing it. We saw the need or anticipated the need, and we started preparing in advance. We were doing it. We were already training people because we saw that God had gifted people with certain gifts to help the body. Babies are being birthed. Our education system is growing, and it's all natural. It's just going on in line with one another. In our church, most of our staffers are from the inside, meaning they are homegrown. Only recently we got an intern from the outside because he heard of the good things that God was doing here on the inside. And I think that is beautifully organic. And I praise God for that. And so the lesson there is to be faithful with what you have, however big or small. And it's God who places you in strategic places for you to thrive. And just in case you didn't get that in verse 11, Paul says it again in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God sets the members of the body as he pleases. This will bring the believer to true contentment because if God has set this for you, you have been given divine dignity. This is why if you aren't content with what you already have, it's malcontent. It's rebellion that's like the pot saying to the potter why'd you make me like this like in isaiah 45 9 or romans 9 20 that's absurd unity and diversity leads to our understanding then of dignity because of god's sovereignty that's why if you're up here on stage you are humbled because you should recognize that it was to please him. And then he has made all these other people working too to get you up here. There are no leaders without followers and you are not a follower if there is not one leading. And it is God who does the choosing. A Christian does not choose their own gift. God gives the gifts. If everyone ran around seeking their own gifts, if everyone ran around seeking their own gifts, that would bring out utter chaos. And that's exactly what has happened. It's happening here, but it's happened in Corinth. Because the real question is this. Do you think you can organize the body yourself? Do you think you can be like, I think this gift is good for you. I think this gift is good for you. I think this gift is good for me. Do you think you can order the body yourself? Who then does the ordering? Who sets up each part of the body? God does that. And so if you feel inferior or superior, that's sheer folly if you understand these verses. The dignity that you receive from the position you hold is God-given, and for someone to look down on that is to look down then on what? To look down on the giver. 
I mentioned that the Bible says that we should not seek spiritual gifts. And there is a verse that I'll go quickly over, but we'll get over that we'll get to it when we get to that passage. But in chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And some translations have earnestly seek the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This one verse seems to be saying that you should seek the gift of prophecy. And you got to wonder, it's like, why this one gift, if we are to seek? It doesn't make any sense in context. It doesn't make any sense. Not everyone can be an eye, and not everyone has the same gift. So why is this one particular gift singled out? What does that mean? Prophecy, in the Greek, is in the second person plural. That means you all, not individual you, not each one of you. It means you all as a collective group. It means, when we'll get into it in chapter 14, but when the canon wasn't closed yet, the people of God should be really listening for the utterances of God, the very things then, what Paul was writing. It's the same verse, a verb, excuse me, that's used in chapter 12, verse 31, which we'll go over next week because that's the next passage. And it's going to be really interesting, and I love that. But the point is there is no place, there's no room for malcontent. There's no place for self-serving attitudes, self-promotions, self-adulation. And even in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, it says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's always been this way. This is no outlier. There's never a command in the Bible to seek a spiritual gift or a place in the body because it's God-given. Therefore, God receives all the glory. That's why I can never look down on the gift or the recipient. If you chase a gift, if you chase a gift, you'll end up with a counterfeit. And this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. What they didn't understand was that God was giving out gifts because he's just good like that. He gives out gifts and it's like perfect. I want to point out an illustration that is used here or alluded to in the passage that we read. It says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. But God has so composed the body. That word composed is from the Greek word to compound or mix together. It's what you do when you take primary colors in a painter's palette you, you know how in a painter's palette there are primary colors on it you've seen it in tv shows i saw it growing up in pbs there was this guy with a crazy hair anyway um you take primary colors from a palette and then you mix it to make a to make one unique color and then you transfer it onto the canvas no two colors that go on the canvas <clears throat> are exactly the same each one is different, diverse, but it is important and integral for the painter. When the painter mixes you into the body, it's just perfect. It's only when we want to be something that we're not, we want to go to a place that we shouldn't, that's when the chaos happens. Colors just dripping all over each other. Some colors saying, like, I don't want to be a color. I just want to fade into the background, P.H., right? You're a color. you got to get on this painting. 
God has mixed you into the canvas. And what an incredible privilege it is. Because the finished picture, what's the finished picture? The finished picture is Christ. And when the world looks at the church, they are looking at the canvas. What are they looking at? And this is why this understanding, if you really understand this, it brings us to a place where we can serve one another, lift one another up, and love one another. That's why we can say things like, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You don't look at a painting you're like, man, that one little speck, that's what I want to cut out and take home. No one says that. It's the Holy Spirit that has bound us together, brings us together, unites us, gives us the diversity of gifts, each one of us an integral member of the body of Christ so that he can receive all the glory. This is a wonderful picture, and this is a privilege that we have been given. And that's why we can return that honor back to God glorify him, sing his praises. This is something that we could have never imagined the world cannot achieve, but we've been given as children of God. And this is why we praise him for bringing us into the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us, and we pray and we confess of our malcontent at times, thinking that we were not enough Perhaps maybe even we thought that thinking that we are not enough and we don't have enough, we're being modest or even humble. Rather, you show us that is malcontent and that is rebellion. Oh God, help us to see this and truly worship you for who you are because you have made us who we are, placed us in the body of Christ to serve you as you have made us integral parts of this incredible journey. Let's take this time to pray. And I know sometimes some of this stuff may be new to some, but there is more. But even as we learn, it's step by step that we're learning. It's one floor after another that we're climbing. And it's God who's teaching us and molding us and shaping us so that we can be people, not, not just content, but abundant, overflowing in joy. Let's take this time to pray.